0: Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, Kia everyone, welcome along to the show. Today we get to speak with Brett Curtis who has spent a lifetime on ships. So we have a really fascinating conversation about what that's been like. And he was on ships which take medical supplies and doctors and dentists and nurses from island to island in places that are very, very remote. Here's an excerpt from our conversation so you can get a flavor of what we talked about. I just love what I do. I think I'm having more fun now. I'm 57
1: than I've had in all of my time in in, in this game. It mm. started out when we were 22. The other day we were just heartbroken because we saw this one lady. She was in her late 20s. Mm. Really thin and pale and coughing a lot and of she had t b but she didn 't know it, but she was the local school teacher right, and she 's coughing over all the kids every day, huh. and man that um, she didn 't need to be doing that, yeah,
0: so, so there 's an immediacy to the need that uh, that you see on these islands isn 't there,
1: especially with like Bougainville, three hundred and fifty thousand people, not one dentist right, so you 're opening up mouths with um, teeth broken off because they've broken their own tooth off to get rid of the pain of the abscess tooth it's mm. too much for them mm. and if you've never had a dentist open your mouth before you can imagine the condition of some of their teeth
0: Mm. Well, I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with Brett, and if you do, you might want to check out some of the earlier episodes in the back catalog, because we're up to almost 160 of them now, and the point of Seeds is to tell some good stories and find out about the journeys of some people who are doing amazing things in the world. I really do notice as well those of you who share on social media and help spread the word in that way. There's a Facebook page, a LinkedIn page, a Twitter account, all of those ways to connect with Seeds. And there's also a website at theseeds.nz, where there's lots of videos and articles. All kinds of things have been put there. Now, I'm really excited about 2020. There's a lot of amazing guests who are coming up, and I know that you're going to enjoy their stories as well. Finally, in the show notes for each episode, I try to put links to things that are relevant. So in this case, you can look up YWAM ships. And they've got some amazing videos and things describing the work that they do out in these Pacific islands. Now, let's get into this conversation with Brett. All right, so it's a pleasure to welcome Brett Curtis, who's the managing director and chairman of YOM Ships Aotearoa. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Um, I know you've had a really interesting background in terms of actually living on a ship for about 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. So I really want to understand that. And I also want to understand what's happening today in terms of the ships and and where they're going to different islands Mm -hmm. and things. Um, But before we do that, I'd love to step back in time with you and just find out a bit about where you're from. I'm from the
1: Bay of Plenty, from Te in Mm Kiwifruit Country. My wife's a nurse from Rotorua. Mm -hmm. Uh, We met and uh, got married in 82 and in 1983, the first YWAM vessel called the Anastasis came to mm-hmm. Tauranga. In fact, it did 15 ports all around New Zealand then. Mm. And uh, we walked up the gangway, took a tour, and we got hooked. Right. <laughs> so it was that quick. <laughs> yeah. We th- we signed up for uh, five months, and, um, mm. and and all of a sudden, it became a career.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, I'd love to talk about that and that decision. But even going back before then, um, what was your family involved in? Like, um, I think you were involved in kiwi fruit and that type of thing. Yes, um, we
1: lived up Number Two Road in Tipuki and had a kiwi fruit farm. It actually was bare land when we got there, and I was seven years old. And my dad planted up the land and became kiwi fruit farmers. Right.
0: Was that and, uh, quite a new industry at the time? It was. Or? It was just starting up, yeah, mm-hmm.
1: in the 70s. And then my wife grew up in Tauranga mm-hmm. and then went to nursing school in Rotorua. And about halfway through her nursing school, I met her, and, and we dated for a bit, and then we were married in 82.
0: Right. Mm. And the in terms of the childhood growing up on a kiwi fruit farm, what was that like? Oh, it was wonderful. Was I that? look back on those years, and it was just... It was
1: marvelous. Yeah. What, what made it wonderful? Clean and outdoors and entrepreneurial because you're taking something that didn't have anything apart from bare land and creating mm-hmm. creating space for the vines to grow and mature and you're looking after them for you know years and then finally you start getting crops and then you begin to develop and build a pack house and ended up uh, exporting the kiwi fruit and uh, had a great
0: I loved that growing up. Yeah, it was great. So you got quite involved, I guess, as a I becoming did. a teenager and
1: I did. We had every spare moment of our family lifestyle. We were all chipping in together. It was great. Worked mm-hmm. with my brother mm-hmm. and a younger sister coming up, seven years younger than us. But uh, right, yeah, loved it. Mum and dad were hardworking, loved God, loved to work hard and uh, learn a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so that time, like just now. Like, the Kiwi is so iconic for New Zealand in mm-hmm. terms of the fruit, you know. Mm. But at that time, it was all new, right?
1: Oh, it was big. Yeah, it was big and new. Yeah. Um, so
0: what was it like being involved in an industry like that, I guess?
1: We weren't the first ones, but we were pretty close afterwards. Um, I remember uh, my dad talking to the McLaughlins, who were the one of the original... Mm. Uh, Planters, and you know, it used to be called Chinese gooseberry, and then it got uh it got improved, and um now it's the New Zealand kiwi fruit. Mm-hmm. And I live in Kona, Hawaii today, and you go to the store and you see it there. It's right. got the little kiwi stickers on it. And so there's a bit of a legacy, oh, yeah. <laughs> nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: that's great. And what sort of things did you enjoy growing up? Did you enjoy outdoor type activities? We did. We, of course, you know, living by the
1: ocean. We just loved the ocean. Mm. So we spent a lot of time, um, loved the lakes too, Mm -hmm. Um, loved to scuba dive and yeah, Mm. it's good. Extreme sports in New Zealand is a wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah, we ended up bungee jumping and doing all kinds of crazy racing and it was good.
0: Yeah. Good, clean, fun way to grow up. That's true. Yeah. And so, um, through your high school years, did you know what you wanted to do with your life? Like was Well, that- I thought
1: I would just follow in my dad's footstep and, and be kiwi fruit farmers and stuff. And so that's what I pursued. Right. But it wasn't long before um you know, there was this other option. You know, all of us Kiwis want to do an overseas experience. Right. Before you settle down and have kids and right, right. go <laughs> backpack around Europe or Sea America or stuff like that. And so um, when the Anastasis came into port and they said they were going in and around all of the Pacific Islands doing medical care and training, uh-huh. um, it really intrigued Karen and my wife. She was a nurse and for me too. I was just, you mean we get to do things you others have to read about in a book? Right. <laughs> so we elected to go for a short term and try it out. So we put our foot in the water and got wet and thought, man, we could do this. We could actually do this. Right. And, uh, and do you
0: remember a conversation with Karen where dis- like, you made the decision? Because you'd just gotten married, you said, right? Yeah,
1: we'd been married just a, around a year.
0: Yeah. Like, was there? A, was it on the ship? You went on the ship? and like, yeah. was it there that you well, looked at each other? Or was it later on? The reason
1: we got to go to the ship is because there was a small group, I think of about 10 or 12, that had come and talked to uh, a group of us in, mm-hmm. in our church at BDF Bible Chapel. And they were talking about what they were doing. And we thought, oh, we should go down and take a tour. Right. So the story is we get there a little bit late and they closed the tours. And there was a rope across the gangway that said, tour's closed. And we went, oh, man. <laughs> like <laughs> 10 minutes too we missed late. missed it. <laughs> but we see this guy walking down the gangway. His name was David McLenahan. And he was um, one of the carpenters on board a ship. Oh. And I said to him, come down the gang. Are you crew? And he goes, yeah, I, I am. And uh, I said, well, I'll tell you what. If, uh, if I take you out for dinner, <laughs> could you give us a tour of your cabin later? And he goes, yes. And well, what young person doesn't want to get a nice you know, meal? So nice we took meal, him out and yeah. fed him up really good. Yeah. And then he took us on a personal tour of the ship afterwards, ah. about 9 or 10 o'clock that night. Ah. And we wound up down into his little room. I had a bunk, two bunks. He was on the bottom bunk and on the wall was a big world map and he had penciled in or colored in where he had been. It started in Italy. It went to Greece and then it came across to the U.S. to San Pedro through the canal up to the U.S. Mm -hmm. Down to Guatemala and ended up in New Zealand as its first outreach location. Hmm. And I looked at that and I was so intrigued about the travel seeing the world, but it was all about getting to know God and then making him known. So they have these training programs on the ship that last for five months. You do three months on board and then you go to the field and you do some field experiment for two months. Hmm. We thought that was amazing.
0: Yeah. So we went home. So it kind of combines the OE experience that you were looking for. Exactly. It was everything (laughs) I
1: could want. And uh, I remember we got on board a ship in Auckland and uh, we sailed out. It was July and we sailed into a big storm. It was uh, force nine winds. Wow. And you could I see the lights. I don't know what that means, of, but it sounds. Well, force 10 is <laughs> hurricane. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so force 9, you <laughs> right saw up there. We on the, you know, you're on this big cruise liner that has 400 crew and you're, you're out there. I think it was 522 feet long. It was not a small boat. Mm. But in a big wind, it's, um, it acted like one. Hmm. And we saw the lights of Auckland going up and down as we were tossed around. And So, so five this days is later, introduction. So is this it? is the first time <laughs> I'd gone to sea. I realized quickly I get really seasick. <laughs> <laughs> but we pulled into Fiji and um, then we spent months up in Fiji and Tonga and Samoa, and mm. Western Samoa, American Samoa, um, New Hebrides, and came home. And at the end of that, we thought, man, this is amazing. This is what we want to do for the rest of our life. We'd kind of got hooked Hmm. about one and a half months into it. We looked at each other one night in our bunk in our our cabin and said, man, couldn't we do this long term? Wow. And um, it had the medical component that my wife loved. Right. Um, For me, the entrepreneurial side of um, life was… Finding and discovering these isolated islands that have nothing in the way much of healthcare and education, mm. and when everybody pitches in from the captain to the cook and, the, and all the volunteers together, no one's being paid. We're all getting we're all paying to be there. Mm. It means that what we get to do um, gets a free gift for them. Whether mm. it's a surgery, whether it's an immunization, whether it's education about healthcare. Um, mm. They get it all for free because we're showing up for free. People are giving us materials and medications for free. We've got the ship and the people, and you put those two things together, and and it
0: works. Mm. So you're talking about a ship, and in my mind, there's different types of ships. So can you just describe that first one that you were on as an example of a larger sized vessel? Because for for the listeners, you know, you just said 400 crew. Yeah, that feels like it's a lot of people. (laughs) So how big is this ship? And yeah, like how many people can it take? And what does it look like?
1: Five hundred twenty-two feet long. Okay, Um, it's about half the size of those cruise ships that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an older vessel so that it it, um, it wasn't the big, tall, box-looking. It was very elegant and regal. It was a beautiful ship. Mm. We've got everything from now. We don't have ones that size. Right. But we've scaled it back so that we can be, have multiple smaller vessels working their way up the Amazon or into smaller pockets of unknown islands in the Pacific that that are just... One of them, they said, we have, you're the fourth person this in 12 months to come by. Hmm. It's just off the beaten track. Hmm. Um, we're focusing a lot of our effort right now in Papua New Guinea,
0: hmm.
1: in the Solomons, in the Bougainville, and all of the provinces of Papua New Guinea. Hmm. We're sending one of our vessels up to Manila in a few weeks. And now you've got 2,000 inhabited islands there. Hmm. That's amazing.
0: Hmm. And just um, describe a little bit about which islands you're going to in terms of access?
1: Well, if you say the royal we, the, the YWAM family network is quite large. It is 27 vessels. Right. Um, the ones that I'm particularly in myself that I'm responsible for with YWAM ships Aotearoa is the Pacific link going up into Manila. It's the YWAM Liberty mm-hmm. that is um, in Papua New Guinea. But there's also a couple of other boats in Papua New Guinea from Townsville and Newcastle. So the three of us are working right. together there. But there's 270 islands in that one country. Hmm. 273, I think. Hmm. There's a lot of work. And and so what we do is we choose and select and target the ones with no airport, no airstrip, no bridge, no road. The only way to get there and help them is by getting on a ship. mm that's why we have ships we don't have it cuz it's a cool thing or cuz they're they take a bit to run and they take a lot of organizing mm. but when you get to these isolated places and you might only have 3 or 400 people on an island you might have several thousand on the next island but some of them are quite small mm. and very hard very hard to access mm. and when you show up man they all stop and they connect with you we usually add an island for 2 weeks right doing what we do and then we come back To a location that has uh, an airport Mm -hmm. and all the the volunteers, the doctors, nurses, the volunteers, they all fly home because they've been there for their two or three week vacation, helping as a volunteer. Right. And the next ones fly in a few days after we clean the ship and put more fuel and buy some bread and other provisions. And then we off again to another island that, and and we're at anchor. There's no dock there. There's no facilities Mm. usually. So all of our activity are in these little inflatable um, Zodiac boats that go in and out mm. uh, carrying the you know the people ashore. Mm. So we do all of our work, or most of our work's done in the village, mm-hmm. except that ones that need surgery. Right. So we bring those ones to the ship while it's at anchor and we do the eye surgeries and mm. things.
0: So in that two-week period or three-week period, they're at, at an island, yeah. what sort of medical professionals are there that are going out? Is it dentists and doctors and yes. eye optometrists type people? Or just give us a flavor of yeah. what what are the needs that are there in the community?
1: Um, the government of Papua New Guinea said, could you do dental care, right. eye care, mom and baby care, primary health care, get involved in immunizations and education? So uh, we love to see GPs and PAs and nurse practitioners, of mm. course, all the range of nurses that help in the primary health care. Mm-hmm. Dentists, mm. assistants, of course, that are doing different dental chairs in the village. Yeah. Um and then um opticians because we put in glasses on the kids and the old folk mm-hmm. that need it. Mm-hmm. Um and a lot of general volunteers. Are we you don't have to be medical. Mm. Uh, probably half of the volunteers are, but the other half are just guys like you and me who who mm. want to help and just lend a hand. So you come with the others, and you might help set up or break down or be a part of crowd control or right. registering them or you know being the guy that runs and gets things. Yeah,
0: just so that it all works. Mm. And uh, and do you find the professionals like the doctors and the dentists and things? Are they like, do they kind of book it into their calendar and you see the same faces over the you years? do. On some of them, they love yeah. it. And they keep taking that
1: two-week vacation period every year at the same right. time. Yeah. And they'll use their other few weeks for family vacation but they just love to come out and help. Yeah. And that's why they took an oath in the first place was to help people that are, yeah. have desperate needs like that medically and so yeah. you get to see things and do things out in the field like that you never see in a sterile environment in a Tauranga hospital or a Christchurch hospital. Yeah. Uh the the tropical diseases that you see. You know, we just saw a kid die of tetanus a few weeks ago. Hmm. You don't have to die of tetanus today. Right. We see kids with leprosy. Hmm. That doesn't have to Certainly, that doesn't have to mm. be there in 2019, but they are in some of these places where their immune system is compromised and their their diet is poor, and um, the the bugs are there. Uh, the TB, mm. for example, the, mm. that's a big thing that we're discovering. We the other day we were just heartbroken because we saw this one lady. She was in her late twenties, mm. really thin and pale, and coughing a lot, and of she had TB. But she didn't know it. But she was the local school teacher. Right. And she's coughing over all the kids every day. Huh. And, man, that um, she didn't need to be doing that. Yeah.
0: So, so there's an immediacy to the need that uh, that you see on these islands, isn't there?
1: Especially with, like, Bougainville, 350,000 people, not one dentist. Right. So you're opening up mouths with um, teeth broken off because they've broken their own tooth off to get rid of the pain of the abscess tooth. It's hmm. too much for them. Mm. and if you've never had a dentist open your mouth before, you can imagine the condition of some of their teeth, mm. especially when they're chewing the beetle nut and doing all of that mm. as well. Mm. So, yeah, they, they. I think the one of the definitions of poverty is lack of options, mm. and when they don't have those options like you and I do. I mean, if I get a toothache, I'm like, I'm canceling appointments, I'm getting in the car, and I'm going to the local dentist to mm. say, help, this hurts. <laughs> but you live like that you don't have that option mm. so when you can relieve pain in somebody's face uh, it's like putting your finger under a, like a burnt finger under a cold water tap you know and mm-hmm. you go, oh that that feels like that relief of pain mm-hmm. um, man they they just sit there and they're very grateful mm. they're so intrigued that you would come from all this way away and they're asking us why we're doing what we're doing and mm. You get a great friendship connection with them, and mm. you can explain what motivates you, and you can talk to them deep about stuff, you know. And mm. and it's it's a I've seen doors f- relationally fly wide open because a little bit of compassion and mercy was shown. Mm. Such a privilege. Mm.
0: Yeah. And these are the way you're describing it. These islands are kind of out of the way. They're not yeah. well trafficked. There's not many like tourists passing.
1: Island and... in uh, the Kitabas chain. It used to be called the Line Islands. That's straight south of Hawaii, right on just above the uh, the equator. Right. We were the fourth one that year that came by. Hmm. I couldn't believe it. That's out of the way. Yeah. So that's where we've got to go.
0: Hmm.
1: We're not seeking to go to the places that are tourist traps or that have got already got their big hospitals and everything. We need to go to the little places where where they don't have options. And we'll hmm. pull in... You know, I was thinking about this the other day, but the the, um, the sunset. You sit there and you marvel and you say, wow, that's pretty. That's nice. Wow, look at that. Maybe see a little green flash every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they look to the horizon for where help comes from. They're looking there for hope. That's a big difference from me sitting on a beach in Hawaii looking at the sunset. Mm. They literally, the only place that they see help coming is across the horizon. So when you pull in with a ship and it's got a, a good-sized crew that are ready to help and roll up their sleeves and work hard, and, yeah, you're sweating and it's uncomfortable sometimes, and it's expensive to get there. But that's why these little places that are so hard to access are still that way. Mm. We don't see even the businessman trying to get there. He's not going to make any money because there's no economy Um as far as we can tell, we're the only ones that are planning to do that. There's no one even trying to do it. Mm. So we must. We, that's our job. That's our role. Yeah, That's mm. why we're on ships. It's our calling mm. is to reach the isolated islands with God's love.
0: Mm. Yeah, mm. That's good. It's an amazing thing to think that in modern day, you know, like I've got my iPhone and um, mm-hmm. got a computer here and it's it's what you're describing is almost like going back in time, you know, it like <laughs> going back a 100 years or further to um you know, the civilization as it was a long a long time ago. Mm. Um yeah, it's fascinating. So can we just talk about your story a little bit more cuz you ended up on the ships, I think you said for 20 years, right? Um how did you make the decision together then to say this is where we want to be and and how did it end up being for 20 years? And what was it like raising a family on a yeah, ship? Yeah,
1: we were at sea 16 years, okay. and we were four years at the headquarters with Mercy Ships. Mm-hmm. And then um, there was a departure of Mercy Ships t- with YWAM. They went off to Africa and and did a, a slightly different tack on their, on their objectives. Mm-hmm. And then so Youth with a Mission started then, a few years after it starts to grow these smaller vessels, like all over and so that's when we jump back in, in 2010 okay so from 2010 through to today most of the growth of these vessels um has come and it's it's sprung up grassroots uh for example you know just a few days ago we were offered another vessel which would be vessel number 27 we can't believe it so they're up the Amazon, they're in the Mediterranean helping the Syrian refugees, they're up rivers, um, they're in Asia, we're in throughout the Pacific, we're in the Caribbean, we're, we're mm. kind of wherever there's a need um, and a local group of people with Youth With A Mission see the only way they can get to these places to help is to uh, to get a vessel, whatever appropriate size they need for their environment, mm. We're just watching things starting to spring up everywhere, and I think it's because the the lane that we are choosing to run in maybe there's no one else doing that, so mm. the momentum is is quite staggering mm. and so we're uh we're delighted mm. uh, for us we did twenty years with the biggest ships, and now we're since two thousand ten um seeing them grow in all kinds of small places we we mm. think Getting into Manila and those 2,000 islands is going to be an inspiration, too, for that. But into Indonesia, Mm. where they have 9,000 islands. I mean, that puts the Pacific in a real place where it's got 1,100. And we think that's populated (laughs) (laughs) with a lot of islands.
0: Indonesia is amazing. So there's a lot of people out there who don't have good medical care, don't have dentists, don't have optometrists. And that's really your mission is to go out and help these people right you know
1: there is medical um things happening in lots of the places yeah. but where they're not and uh, where they're not being served um we're finding that the government say would you help us reach our own people so when we connect in with them with their goals helping them reach their own people and they mm. put you know about a third of our crew are from the
0: local location that we're right. from So talk us through that in terms of the, um, I guess the welcome of the local authority or the government or whatever, like what shape does that take or how does that work? Um, because I think that's an important point is that it's mm. not just a Western, um, we're coming to save you, you know, we're, we're giving you aid because we're, you know, you're actually, you're saying you're getting an invitation from these places. Yes.
1: Going by invitation is really important. Mm. Um. For example, in your beautiful home here, if um, there was a knock on the door at dinner time, mm-hmm. and there's someone trying to sell a Dyson vacuum cleaner or or some toolbox or you know encyclopedia set, uh, you would be polite, but you would be a very short conversation, mm-hmm. <laughs> probably.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the difference would be if I'm your best friend since university, and you haven't seen me in ten, twenty years and we finally got to connect, and you invite me to your home. I mean, you're running down to the butcher, you're getting some good cuts of meat. Mm-hmm. You know, you're cleaning up the place, you're leaving the lights on, the door might even be wide open because you're anticipating that guest. And when mm. I come up and you greet me, and we haven't seen each other for a long time, that conversation is a very different one to the one that was that came without an invitation.
0: Right.
1: That's the difference when we come into a nation with an invitation through the front door versus trying to sneak in the back door well not sneaking you can't with a ship you have to come in the front door <laughs> but that's the that's the principle mm. so usually a um, president first lady uh, or a minister of health <clears throat> etc they will say please come mm. so the the door is officially open and then when you get to go say okay where would you like us to serve and they would say well these provinces here or these places um, the local governor of that province is engaged with more of a detailed um, invitation about where and when and all that well then you got the chiefs in the local villages that also need to be in, engaged with so when that all of those levels are open to you and you pull in next to a village that's anticipated you for several weeks. Or maybe they heard on the radio, or that's how they've done their communication with the guys back on the mainland. Mm. Uh, they they stop everything. They are so excited. And they all show up. Mm. Moms, grandma, kids, dogs, everything. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll wait all day patiently in the sun. They're very amazing people. they will just highly relational Mm. and uh, beautiful beautiful people Mm.
0: so what's an example i guess to personalize it uh, over your many years of doing this what's an example maybe where you had been to a location and then came back later and there was a real change for a person or or that they had something that they needed help with urgently (coughs) you know that that it actually had a real impact because it's Mm. i I love what we've talked about but i want to bring it home to a real person as well, if we can,
1: you know, one of the, the simplest and l- cheapest, inexpensive things you can do is you can talk story with somebody mm. and explain to them something that might be really important for them. For example, health education, community health education, we call Shea. Um if you did a class with and and you went to several villages and said, "Hey, mums and hey, grandmoms, why don't you meet and and you gather for a week for a few hours a day and you start talking about and unpack uh, why you know what what are germs and and why and how do they how do they hurt us and the issues of uh, clean water and soap. Mm-hmm. And then issues of um, childbirth, because a lot of them give their kids, have their kids in the bush, and they think it makes them stronger. Well, the infection kills so many of them. Mm. But you begin to teach simple things like that they can grab a hold of. Um, then fast forward, come back a year's time. Mm. That village has... and primarily because of the mums and grandmums, right? <laughs> they, they make sure that, that everyone's doing their thing that, the right way, right? Uh, Kicking the dog and the pigs out from the home so that they, where they're sleeping, the kids are sleeping. It's not a good mix. So they're trying to clean up, and they're trying to make sure that, you know they're boiling the water, and they're trying to make sure everybody's mm-hmm. got some soap, and they're trying to make sure. And a healthy family is a productive family. So what we see is there's a lift in their economy, because they're not sick and can't go to work so much. Mm. They're actually quite healthy and fit, and, and uh, they're moving ahead, moving forward. Mm. So that was a real simple eye-opener. Um, mm. You have lots of studies in the world of places years later that have just excelled. Mm. where in a village just across the hill that never got that
0: education piece. Mm. Um, is still struggling. Mm.
1: That's, That's a cool one.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. It just shows the value of education, oh, doesn't it? You know, totally. that if you can empower people yeah. to to have an understanding about basic health issues, it's actually going to have a huge. Impact. And another
1: cheap, inexpensive, simple way is to put glasses on kids who can't read the whiteboard or the blackboard. Right. Uh, they all of a sudden can actually get through and educate. Mm. And now imagine, and especially for the young girls, that's that's the hardest part of seeing some of these nations that don't value them like they value the boys mm. but I um, forget one thing we were giving a tour on board the ship and um, it wasn't me it was one of our crew she was telling me and there was a group of school kids on the bridge and um, the the woman that was giving the this is this and this is that and this is how this works was our um, an officer on board but she was a lady and she was giving the tour And um, some of these young boys were, like, aspiring to be captains and, uh, you know, sit on the captain's chair and say, look at this and look at that. And uh, she said, girls, you can be a captain, too, because I'm one. And next minute, all the girls are giving the elbow to the boys. (laughs) (laughs) We can be like that, too. And just giving them some inspiration and hope that girls can do anything. Yeah. I've got four girls and one son. Right, I love girls. In our <laughs> family, they just they just think naturally that yet yeah, we can do anything. And um, when they think that way, they they live that way.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, since you mentioned your family, can you describe what it was like having young children on the ship mm-hmm. <laughs> and and for them growing up? You know their experience. Yeah. How, how was that? Well, one of the challenges leaving New Zealand back. 83
1: to leave to do this was a lot of well-meaning friends that would say, oh, you're going to ruin your kids right? because you're not going to give them the education they need and you know you'll be back and then they'll pay the price. Hmm. Well, nothing further from the truth. So if you're thinking of going into mission and doing it as a career, don't worry about your kids. They do amazing. We had our kids on board with us, living with us And we had school teachers helping them and um, i never forget we told them um, that we were about to leave because we'd been at sea 15 years and now we're going to be on the land helping the headquarters and so we went into the school the first day when they're all back in their like supposedly normal environment Mm -hmm. and uh, the school teachers said how many countries have you been to and what did you do and I don't know about this. And so they said, we'll test your kids to see where they're at so they can fit into the right grade because they expected they would be quite low. Mm. But it was the opposite. It was very high because the, student, the student-teacher ratio was you know about 1 to 10. Right. Which, you know, who has a, who mm. has a group of kids of only 10 in your class? You, know, <laughs> that, that you get a lot of attention from the teacher. Mm-hmm. And uh, my son came home the first day of his high school. And he said, "Dad, Dad, I got a ninety-eight percent of my my first test." And I went, "Oh, way to go, son! That's awesome." And he said, "Yeah, it was geography. Uh, I, I got one question wrong. It was the only country I hadn't been to." <laughs> 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 I think the teachers were just, "What? What have you got here?"
0: Pretty well-rounded. Huh? They were, yeah. <laughs> they, and we would sail through the
1: Panama Canal, and they would study it, or they would, right. You know, would be on the equator and tell tell them about the, you know, the direction of the waters. Mm-hmm. And you go past the equator and it turns and goes the other way. And they would study all this stuff. And uh, my son would lie on the aft deck of the ship and look at the stars as a little kid. Mm-hmm. And we would find them and find their name and, and talk about that. And and now he's got an astrophysics degree hmm. with an MBA after it hmm. and just doing well in California. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. My other girl got a, a my second child she got a an international business degree and my third child is uh was flying with Air new zealand and now's in their hr area mm-hmm. and um my fourth kid has just graduated auckland university and now she's um making her way. and i've got one more child at home and she wants to be a dentist so hmm. i think our kids are, it's it's so fun as
0: parents when your kids do well yeah it's just very happy yeah that's interesting so you don't it didn't set them back to the, it like was the, the opposite, opposite of the friends. They are so
1: leaders in their peer group, uh, like the cream of their crop. So mm. we're very, very happy.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great.
1: So if you're listening, don't worry and fear about your children going with you. Right. They will excel.
0: Yeah. 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 Children have a ability to adapt, don't they? You oh, know. so much more than we do. Yeah. 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 That's great. So, um, over your time, I guess going from the islands to islands, were there any other highlights that sort of stick out for you? We did. It's a broad question, so you can pick and choose.
1: <laughs> yeah, we were in the in the Pacific for a handful of years, and then the same in the Caribbean and Central. And then went to West Africa for mm. four years. Um, came back and did another seven years in the Caribbean. Mm. Now we're in the, what's that, the western part of the, the Pacific, mm. the P&G theater. Right. Um, it doesn't matter where you go. a, a You know, a,
0: a dirt hut's a dirt hut. Mm. Dirt floor's a dirt floor. Mm. Um, and what did, uh, in terms of the people that you were meeting, what did you learn from them in terms of their attitude to... I don't know, possessions or life. Well, generally. you know, it's
1: amazing. You can go into, we we had one island that had two villages close by, but they were separate. One was happy and thriving. The other one, everyone's upset and everyone's sick and everyone's, you know, it's, in the end, what we ended up finding out, there was a really... Um, there was a really good chief in one of the villages, and he had high integrity, and he knew how to love on his people and have justice and mercy. The other guy was ripping his people off. He was pocketing money. Mm-hmm. He was not really serving them. He was being served by them, and they were not happy. So um, it, it's the same in any city, I guess. You've got good leaders and bad leaders, mm-hmm. and when there's good ones and everyone aspires to be like that, mm-hmm. Uh, it makes life different.
0: Mm.
1: And you see them thriving.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, so I don't, I don't know to answer your question if one thing stands out, but um, I just love what I do. I think I'm having more fun now. I'm 57 than I've had in all of my time in in, in this game. Right. In YWAM, Youth for the Mission. It mm. started out when we were 22.
0: Yeah, that's quite a legacy <laughs> to mm. to have been involved for so long. Yeah, love yeah, it. Yeah. The kids
1: are loving it too.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, can I ask you just about YWAM itself and I guess the face mm-hmm. element of YWAM? And um, yeah, what sort of role does that play within what you're doing? You know, every YWAM
1: center in the world, uh, I, I will have this number wrong, but it's probably 1,800 or so bases around the world. They're all independent. They're not connected legally, financially. They all have to stand on their own two feet. The one thing that is tremendous about how they are together in a network are their values. And so we have these 18 values that we all subscribe to and commit to. And when, when you're all singing off the same sheet of paper, you can go to New York City You could go to a place that's serving food to, you know, street kids under a bridge in Brazil somewhere. You could go. It doesn't matter where you go. Mm -hmm. The the YWAM um, DNA is we love training. We love mercy. And we love evangelism. Now, those three things are the kind of the three things. If you walk and talk and squawk like a duck, you'll you'll be a duck. Those three things create the, the YWAMR. And so with our values and our, our charge by our founder, Lauren Cunningham, is to reach every nation on Earth. And he's the only one I know that's been to every country on Earth. So it really is a global goal for us, especially with ships, as we go to all the isolated locations. We want to show them compassion and mercy. We want to surprise them with it. Um, now back to the, what makes us who we are, um, the entry level door, the gateway into youth with a mission is one and only one training program. And it's the same globally. We teach it in 92 languages. It's called the discipleship training school. And what we do is we do three months in the classroom and we do two months in the field. And the curriculum that I went through in, when I was in my early 20s is the same curriculum my son went through. It's the same thing. We just go over the values of what it takes to live by faith and prefer your brother and what the issues are, forgiveness and how to raise your funding because you're, you know, everyone pays to be there. So you've got to have a network of friends and family at home that believe in you and you've got to... Keep talking to them and bringing them updates and, and knowing how to get along when there's conflict on the team. All these things that it takes to be in an isolated place with a little team. Mm. The average size of the YWAM center is probably less than 20 people. It's lots of little unsung heroes everywhere yeah. doing their thing, and they all do the same thing. Mm. Um, but contextualized to Mm. their audience, Mm. whether they're in New York or Brazil.
0: Yeah, and over out of all of the bases that you've been to or the people that you've met in Mm. YWAM is there any people that sort of stick out as being Mm. like really impressive or (laughs) memorable in some way? Karen and I are
1: living and working closely with Lauren and Darlene Cunningham the founders in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. They began as the first university campus in YWAM Mm. We're about a mile down the, the road at a different base running our ship um enterprise Mm -hmm. with uh, the islands our ship base but we love listening to them they're in their 80s so you know it's like can we just sit there and take notes and Mm -hmm. listen to because they've got so much wisdom Mm -hmm. you can imagine having been in your um you know your whole life doing this he's a real statesman Mm -hmm. so is she she's an amazing leadership training um teacher. And they always boil things down to principle. And I like that because our little, the way I'm wired, the way you're wired, it gets in the way a lot. Mm. If you could boil it down to the principle of the matter, what really is the issue? Um, that's a good thing. Mm. So we learn a lot from observing how they interact mm. everyone from, you know, just coming back from a trip to see the three popes mm. to having been at the white house and you know, engaging with that level and then coming back and, and watching them engage with a young Hawaiian kid on the beach or mm. at, the, at the community meeting. And he just loves young people. Mm. Lauren and Darlene, they just champion 18, 25. If that age group, they're our future. They're the next generation that's going to take this thing. And if we can always capture their imagination and champion them and let them go further than we have, mm. that's a pretty important thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I hope my kids, but I also hope those um, YWAMers that are coming and working with us on our ships would stand on my shoulders and go further than I've ever gone. Right. Wouldn't that be a legacy to leave behind? And that's what Lauren and Darlene are doing. Mm. Yeah. Because everybody gets in the front door and they're all young. Mm. And he keeps saying to the leaders who are maybe are getting a few great hairs, you know, you got to stay young. You got to champion them and give them opportunities. Don't you take it, you give it to them and mm. champion them. So mm. I like that. Because that's, that's what I was done. When I was growing up in the mission, I was given a chance to lead and a chance to make mistakes. That was important for me. Mm. Now I want to do that
0: for others. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So if people are interested in finding out more, what's the best way for them to connect? And um, Go to our website,
1: ymshipsateoro.org.nz, mm-hmm. and you'll see a training section there. You'll see a maritime section there. You'll see a medical section there. Mm. Uh, you can come for two weeks if you want. You don't need to have done a discipleship training school. But if you want to come and make it a career like us, uh, like me and Karen, then you need to do a discipleship training school. And they're happening every quarter of the year in I don't know how many locations mm-hmm. globally. And once you graduate that in any location on planet Earth, because uh, we do it in 92 languages, you can choose wherever you are, then you can serve with YWAM long-term.
0: Mm. Yeah, But it sounds like, from what you're saying, even on the ship's, you don't only need doctors and dentists. You need other people as well, right? We
1: need more general volunteers than we yeah. do specialists. Right. Yeah. So if you want to come and help in the galley, stand gangway watch. Uh, we'll teach and train you on the job. You can come fresh out of school if you like. Mm. We'll also give you navigation and seamanship training, healthcare type training. Mm-hmm. Uh, depends where you wanna um, where you want to go in life. Mm. So, um, but if you're just a general volunteer. Um, willing to come and roll your sleeves up and enjoy uh, a trip with us
0: then by all means come mm. yeah yeah, that's great well what we'll do is in the show notes people can click down under the description and okay. we'll put a link to the website and then people can great. find out more if they want And yeah, it's just been really interesting to hear about what's happening. I think in the West, we tend to get caught up in our own worlds in terms of Mm -hmm. I got to go to work tomorrow and then the next day and then the next day. And you kind of forget that there's parts of the world that don't have the medical resources, don't have the people out there who are, you know, you mentioned the the teeth, you know, if I get a cavity, I can easily fix it. So it's great to hear about um, these ships that are going out to help people. Um, which ultimately I think everybody can get behind and say that's a that's a good thing. So, yeah, um, yeah thanks very much for your time, Brett. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Stephen. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that conversation with Brett. I know for me there was a lot that stood out. In particular, I really love to hear about the work that's going on, reaching out to these islands where literally nobody passes by. If you want to find out more about it, then have a look at the show notes because there's a link to their website in there as well. And you might want to check out some of the earlier episodes because there's more than 160 in the back catalog. Until next time.